Has anybody here ever seen Stranger Things? Okay. I got a quick no there, but that's okay. I'll tell you about it if you haven't seen it. Uh, Stranger Things uh, is a TV show, came out on Netflix a number of years ago. There's a bunch of seasons now. Um, it got really, really popular pretty much right away. It's sci-fi, and in the first season, uh, it's, there's a group of kids who are really super tight friends. So they do everything together. They play video games together, ride their bikes together, do all the adventurous stuff that kids do when they're, I forget how old they were when it started, like 10 or something like that. Um, and then uh, all of a sudden, in the first season, one of them goes missing, and it's a sci-fi thing, so uh, they end up, all these kids join together, and it's like, we're going to battle together and, and fight for each other, and we'll do anything for each other, and they start fighting supernatural forces and stuff like that, which seems a lot weirder when I say it, but if you watch it and get into it, it's actually a pretty good show. It's a little bit violent at some points, but it's not bad. When it came out, it got really popular, but remember, it's about kids, and so the strange thing was that there was a lot of popularity, not just with like teenagers or young adults, but with people in their 30s and 40s. And so originally, when people talked about that, they said, well, it's sort of natural. This whole group really likes this show because it's set in the 80s. So everything about it, you know, the, the hairstyles and the clothes and the kind of bikes that they, and the games they play and the video games, the whole thing is in the 80s. So they, a lot of people are writing, well, it's natural. Like if you're in your 30s or 40s or some part of your childhood overlapped in the 80s or near the 80s, there's this nostalgia and it reminds you because oh, I played that game and we did that and, and all the rest of it. But at that time, I was reading an article and it said, um, what if... What if all these people in their 30s and 40s, maybe a little bit older, a little bit younger, but what if some of the popularity with adults isn't so much about the nostalgia around the 80s as it is around the nostalgia of that kind of friendship? What if what people were really resonating with was not, oh, look at the furniture, we had that kind of couch, but man, do you remember a time where you had friends where you were so close, you did anything together and everything together, where you would do just about anything for each other and you knew your friends would as well. Think about your life, for example. Can you remember? I remember when I was a kid in grade school, elementary school, and it was just sort of assumed. I had a couple of really good friends, and it was assumed every day after school or after dinner, we're riding bikes together. You don't have to ask. You don't have to, wait, what are you doing? What's your schedule? It's just, I'll see you at the corner store on the bikes. We'll get to freezies and we're going around the neighborhood. This is what we do. And we do it all the time. I remember the same thing in the summer. Do you remember having summers where it was like you had the one friend or a few friends where it was just every morning, like as soon as our parents said, it's, it's late enough in the morning, you can actually go to somebody's house and not drive their parents nuts. It's like, you're over there and you know, you're building, like for me, it was building ramps to go off on our bikes and Stuff. We love doing that. And uh, you, just, you just have this deep bond. And I wonder how many of us are still longing for that. Okay, so let's go a little bit further into your history. So in grade school, maybe some of you, you resonate with that. And then you get to high school. And in high school, for some of us, it gets tough, right? Because now we're trying to be cool and we're a little bit more aware of ourselves and awkward, but we start joining groups. And so uh, maybe you were part of the jocks or the drama crowd or the music crowd or the crowd that didn't want to be part of any of the other crowds. You didn't really fit it, so we're going to go over and do our things. But this became really important to you to be part of some kind of group where you knew each other and where you became known. And then some of us, you moved on to a next phase of life. You were a young adult. Uh, maybe you went to college or you 
university. Some of you here, you get this now because it's your housemates. You live with these people and they become some of the closest people. And some of you, man, for the, I'll get to this in a second, but some of us, we would just love to tell you, you should lean into those relationships. It's like we live together. So we're going through the stress of school and, and all the things that come with that. But at the end of the day, we're all in the same house. And so we can come back and we can, we can just unload and, and make sure that we're there to encourage each other and love each other and all that kind of stuff. Uh, some people in that phase, church is a big thing for you. Your youth group or a young adults group, and you look back and go, this is where we built some of our greatest friendships, and we just, we, we jived with each other so much. We, we shared with each other. We went deeper, all the rest of it. But then there's something that happens in life where it just gets harder. So maybe you leave uh, university or college, or you've learned a trade, but now it's time to start a, a career job. You all kind of go your separate ways from some of your friends who are either in high school or, or whatever you did post-high school. You move for a job. You get a little bit spread out. You start working. You get busy. Your calendar starts to get more and more filled up on a regular basis. You have responsibilities. You can't stay up all night talking or riding your bikes around the neighborhood or around the corner store and all that kind of stuff. Maybe you get married or have children, and then all of a sudden you just go, I'm so much more limited in the free time that I have and the stuff that I have. And many of us get to a place where all of a sudden we're, we're uh, sort of established in many ways of life, but we look around and we long for the days where we had those friendships. We're always together where we could lean on each other, where we could share with each other, where it was just, man, we're, we're, we've got the time together and all the rest of it. Today I want to talk about how important our friendships really are. Do you know a very core, um, I, I think, message of Christianity is that we're not alone? that you're not alone, that I'm not alone, that we do things together. And for people who I think in so many different phases of life, because again, you could look back through those phases I talked about, and if there's a phase of life where you didn't really have a group, you didn't feel like you fit in, likely that's very painful for you. It's something you've like, oh man, I just, I felt like I was always on the outside. And even some of us, as we get older and older, we still feel that. We feel like there's so many people around me, but there's not that many people that are close to me. And really, in Christianity, you, you, you can't understand, I think, the good news of Jesus and a God who would send him, his son that would insert himself into our lives to say to us, I will meet you where you're at. You are not alone. I am here to care for you and forgive you and walk with you and carry some of your burdens. You just can't understand Christianity apart from those messages. And one of the most powerful tools we have for communicating that and living that out is our relationships with one another. So there's this parable in Luke chapter 16 that I want to share with you. If you have a Bible and you want to uh, go to Luke chapter 16 and read along. So one of these parables, and this is kind of the point, by the way, Jesus teaches a lot in parables. And um, one of the reasons he does that, he doesn't just say, here's a straightforward message. It's really easy to understand. He tells us stories that we're supposed to think about, stories that aren't always that obvious, but you're supposed to sit and go, what did he mean by that? And what is this message? And this parable in Luke chapter 16 is one of those. If you've ever read it, you might have kind of gone through and go, I don't know what I'm supposed to take from that or how I'm supposed to live that out because it actually seems like there's a lot of bad messages in it. So we'll deal with that. But this is Luke chapter 16. In verse 1, it says, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. 
So Jesus had been talking to a, a group of people. He'd been talking to a bunch of religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees, it says. And now he actually calls in his disciples. So these are the guys that would have been walking very closely to him, his closest friends. And so he's now going from kind of a, a bigger circle to a smaller circle and saying, I want to teach you this story. So there's a, a rich man who has hired a manager, and the manager has authority to deal with his money, with his stuff. Manager finds out we're not exactly sure what the problem is. It's possible that the manager is lazy, but most likely he's skimming off the top. But the, the, the owner of all this stuff finds out about it some way, and he calls him in and says, all right, this is it. You're going to be fired. This is, sets the stage. So probably uh, a dishonest guy. He's been stealing. He's been taking money off at the top. And now all of a sudden he realizes, I'm about to lose my job. Here's what he does, verse 3. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who give me a home when I am fired. In uh, Greek, this is originally written in, there's a play on words here between a, a couple of the phrases. One of them, they sound very similar. One of them is getting fired, and one of them is being welcomed into homes. And so you see right here, set up in the story, there's going to be this contrast. On the one hand, I'm about to get fired. I need to be welcomed in home. I'm losing that which is providing for me. I'm going to lose my job and the money that comes with it. I need to provide something for This is what the guy is saying in his head. I am going to be out of the wealth building business. I better get in to the relationship building business. The paycheck is going to stop coming. I'm going to run out of money. That's going to be a big problem. I'm going to need some relationships that are going to carry me through this time, some relationships that are going to make sure that I'm okay. Verse 5, so he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. So he cuts it in half. And how much do you owe the, my employer? He goes to the next guy. He asked the next man, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. So he goes to two guys, and maybe there's more, we don't know, but in the story, there's two guys uh, who owe a whole bunch to his employer. Now, these are really big amounts. So 800 gallons of olive oil is not just like somebody's groceries for the week. This is a massive amount. This is the amount of olive oil that would come from a vineyard, a really, really big vineyard, not even just a family vineyard that maybe would have been pretty common. But like think industrial size, huge, uh, you know, olive oil production. Probably somebody is, we're supposed to think that somebody is renting a whole vineyard from his uh, from his employer, and this is the rent payment, or you know, there's some kind of agreement. You got to give this much of, of how much you yield from from the olive oil. Um, but it is a lot. And then it goes to the uh, the bushels of wheat again, a thousand bushels of wheat. This is a lot. Uh, the ratios are the same, the percentages are different, but the amount is kind of similar. So going from a thousand bushels down to eight hundred, it is a significant decrease. Um, some people have said uh, that these amounts are like twenty times what a normal family might be yielding. So again, it's not just I'm providing for my family by growing wheat and harvesting wheat. This is a huge business and production. It's a really big deal. It's a big client, customer, whatever you might uh, picture of that. Probably uh, a field of like 200 acres would bring this amount. So really, really big, which means that the discounts here are really, really significant. 
Some have said it would be in the ballpark, both of these different amounts, maybe of 500 denarii, which uh, is a good amount of money. One denarius was probably about a day's wage for a laborer. So if we just kind of did some math and put it into our context, we're talking of tens of thousands of dollars of discounts. Like this is a lot of money for both. It's not just, oh, I'll give you, you know, a few bucks off. It's tens of thousands of dollars that are being written off here. Now, the manager, he's being fired, but the manager would have authority to do this. So this is almost like the salesperson who goes out and makes deals with people. You know, you go buy a car, and the sales guy who pretends he's really good friends with you and all that kind of stuff, and, oh, you trust me, we're building this trust, and I'm going to get you a great deal. Has this ever happened to you? And then he goes, he goes you, you kind of go back and forth, and then you agree on a price, and he goes, oh, man, that's tough. I'm going to go try and convince my manager. And you're supposed to be like, oh, what a great guy. He's got my best interest at heart. He's giving me a great deal. He's not. He's, not. he's making a lot of money off of you. But he's going to go back and pretend behind the little thing. Oh, whoa, no, I know it's too much, but can we do that? And he comes back out and says, oh, yeah, the manager signed off on it. You get a great deal on this car. And then you don't have to feel bad for spending a zillion dollars on a car. That's kind of like what this is. He's, he's working on behalf of his manager. And these people are going to think, wow, this guy is he's going to bat for me. Huge savoring. He's so generous. And he's going to his... his the employer and making sure that everything works out for me. This is awesome. Now, the manager, here's what he's thinking. The manager is counting on the ethic of reciprocity, which in, in that culture would have been big, a big thing, especially in a culture of honor and shame. You would have seen this guy and said, man, this guy has done something fantastic for me. He's an awesome person. He's generous. He's kind. He cares for me. He cares for my family. He cares for my business. And what the manager is doing is setting the stage to say, then when I need something, there's going to be all these people who go, well, you're a great, yeah, you've been there for me. Look at all the stuff you've done for me. Of course, I'm going to help you out if you're in need. It's this reciprocity. So verse 8 says, the rich man had to admire, I love, so this is the owner. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true, now Jesus is saying, and it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. So now Jesus makes a comment. So here's the master, and he goes, we don't know if he's happy about it or not. Like he's being swindled out of some money, right? But he goes, I got to tip my hat. That was smart. And Jesus says, the children of this world versus the children of light. Children of light, that, that would be, you know, people that are seeing things through the kingdom of God that Jesus is announcing. And Jesus is going, there's actually some planning here where there are people who maybe have not embraced the message of Jesus at all, but they're so wise. They're so smart. They have a plan. And I think he's pulling his disciples in and saying, guys, you got to have a plan too. We got to be shrewd too we got to think through some things that are really important. And he puts it in the context of this story and these relationships. So think about why the manager is so shrewd. What has he done that's, that's really, really smart, that's wise, that's set himself up? So by giving generously to these people, here's what he's done. Number one, this is obvious, but he's benefited them. So flat out, they're going to go, well, this guy's great. Like, he just saved me tens of thousands of dollars. Of course I love this guy. So that's kind of the obvious one. Number two, this is where it gets smart. He has made his employer look really good, really generous. So if he had just gone, oh man, I'm getting fired. I'm going to go to all the people that owe my, my employer money. I'm going to collect it and I'm going to run away with it. Well, then what happens? The employer goes after him. 
It tracks him down, takes the money back, and who looks good and who looks bad? Well, here's the employer. He's a good guy. He's a good businessman. And the manager, well, what an awful guy. And he just stole all the money and tried to run off. And, and that's kind of the end of it, right? That's how you'd expect that story. But what he does is he goes to all the, uh, the people who owe money, and he makes his master look really good. So in, especially in a culture like this, the employer's not going to go to these people and say, oh, actually, he said the wrong amount. I'm going to need the full amount. No, he's going to look silly doing that. He's already in the agreement. He's not going to go back on that. And everybody's going to go, wow, you're generous. And the manager is going to walk away with his money. He goes, you're not going to come after me. You're not going to make a big deal because I made you look really good, look really generous. And so everybody's going to be happy with you and everybody's going to be happy with me, which leads to number three, he's benefited himself. He's procured friends that will want him to show him generosity. He goes, ah, I found a way to steal all this stuff and everybody's happy and nobody is coming after me. How shrewd is that? It's a really good plan. Now you do have to stop and go, what is Jesus telling us to do here? <laughs> I think he might be telling me to steal from work. You know what it sounds like? That's what it sounds like. He's maybe telling me to lie. Maybe he's telling me to come up with these plans that are devious and are deceptive. And that's why this is one of those stories uh, where sometimes you read it and you go, I have no idea what this means, and you kind of skip over it. Keep going. Verse 9. Here's the lesson, Jesus says. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money." He talks about worldly resources, which sometimes just translated money. Sometimes it's translated treasure or riches. It can be translated that which you really depend on. Whatever it is in life that you really depend on. So Jesus is now getting to the, the, the deeper level of what our resource is all about. He's making them think, what are you, what's really important to you? Remember, he tells a story where the guy realizes that his earthly treasure, his money, is going to run out. And what does Jesus say when he says, here's the lesson? What, is, what does he commend the manager for? He doesn't say, I commend him for being dishonest. And in fact, Jesus has this little section where he goes, well, if you're dishonest with little things, you won't be honest with greater things. So he's not trying to tell us, be dishonest like the dishonest manager is in here. That's not the quality. Keep thinking, keep thinking. But it's about this shrewdness. He's wise. He understands the importance of relationships. He understands that uh, at some point in his life, that all his stuff, all his worldly treasures is not going to be what he needs. It's all going to run out, and he's going to need a deeper and more profound foundation to live his life off of. He's going to need help when everything runs out, when life goes bad for him. And in his shrewdness, he says, what I need to think through is not just my bank account, but who's going to be there for me. That's what Jesus is saying is, is so smart here, it is so wise, is so shrewd. What if you said, all these resources I have, one day I realize won't be enough, and so I am going to invest them to make sure that I have resources that will help me into eternity, that I will have relationships that help me into eternity. Now that's profound, isn't it? I think some of us, uh, you know, in our spiritual lives, we think there's some things that are just so important. There are things that we absolutely have to do. And then there are things that are like, well, I should get to that 
well, yeah, that's good, but my, my schedule is busy and all that kind of stuff. And I wonder sometimes if we just, we prop up some of these things, man, I got to get to church and, you know, there's these, these disciplines I have to do. That's really good. Uh, and there's a service I have to do. And then we, we just kind of get to the part about our friendships, our relationships in life. And we've expected them to naturally form. But actually, we find ourselves in a place in life where we're longing for the stranger things type of relationships. And we're looking around and saying, there's a lot of people around me, but I feel alone. I feel like there's nobody I can go really deep with. I feel like there's nobody that understands me. I feel like if I was going through a major crisis, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if there'd be the people around me that I need around me to make sure that I could get through that. And Jesus is saying, man, there's people of this world and they're just so shrewd. Why aren't we so shrewd with things that really matter? So you've got a plan for your career, probably. You've got a plan for retirement. You've got a plan for RSPs. You've got a plan for your money. You've got an investment portfolio. You've got plans for where you're going to live. You've got plans for your, your vehicles. You've got plans for education. You've got plans for all these aspects of your life. Do you have a plan for your relationships? And you go, oh, that sounds cold. Doesn't that sound cold? What, I'm supposed to invest in my relationships like I invest in, in, in the stock market or something like that? And that's not the point, but I think Jesus is trying to bring it out sharply and say, man, you are so on top of some of these plans in your life. Why are you not so on top of the relationships that you have? Why are you not being intentional? Why have you not thought through how to build those strong relationships? Because that is one day, if you haven't got there already, and some of us have, when things are starting to fall apart, that is what you're going to need. And some of this other stuff is going to fail you. Do you have a plan for it? I think what Jesus is saying is, if you want a rich life, you need to invest in relationships. Again, I apologize. That's kind of cold financial economic language. But if you want a really rich life, we need to think about how we're taking initiative to invest in relationships and asking, who's around me? Who am I going deeper with? Who am I there for? Who's there for me? Who, who, who in our families can, can come together and make sure that we are in healthy relationships. We have all kinds of plans, all kinds of insurances, all kinds of, uh, you know, visions of our lives. Are we being wise? Are we being shrewd, intelligent about planning about the kind of relationships that we have? Here's what I want to um, encourage you to do. Just ask yourself this question. I, I would, if you're a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to pray about this. If you're married, to talk about this with your spouse. But just ask yourself this question. Who are you going to show up for this year? This is something my wife and I have started to do. Just, you know, different times of year, we just stop and we go, who in our lives during this season do we need to be there for? Maybe it's because they're going through something. Maybe it's something really good. Maybe it's something challenging. Uh, maybe it's just a phase of life. Maybe it's something that as we pray, we just people get uh, put on our hearts and we go, man, this is a relationship I think we need to lean into. But who is it that you're going to show up for? Because here's what happens. So I say this and I say, you should invest in friendship. And maybe you think of it like money. It's like, I need as many friends as I can possibly get. I'm going to put them all in the bank and they're going to grow compounding interest. <laughs> Here's what the studies show. And this, I think, is, is in a bunch of ways. If you're talking about deep friendship, like these are the people that I journey through life with, that I go deep with, that I sh could share just about anything about me, that if I'm struggling, if I'm hurting, if I don't know where to turn, if I need guidance, if I'm going through terrible things, or if they are, we, we're there for each other. You know, the people that you keep track with on a really consistent basis. Studies have shown you're going to max out just because we all have time constraints and energy constraints and all the rest of it. You're going to max out at three, maybe up to five people. 
So you go away from this, you go, I got to be friends with everybody and everybody who's here today is going to be best friends. That's not going to happen. But is there two or three people that you really need to invest in this year? A couple of couples that you and your spouse are going to go, man, this is the person, that, these are the people that we just, we need to show up for. That when their kids have a big moment, we're going to show up for them. That when they go through a rough patch, we're going to show up for them. That when they're tired and down, we're just going to show up. We're going to take their kids. We're going to bring them a meal. We're going to do something. But these are the people we're going to check in with on a regular basis. You're probably going to max out on three or five. So do you know who those people are this season of your life? Then they say there's another circle of people that's probably around 10 to 12. And these people, you know, reasonably you're going to get deep, maybe not quite as deep, but you're going, to, uh, you're going to walk through life together. And that's an interesting number, isn't it? A lot of sports teams are around 10 to 12 people. Or if it's a really big team, there's units of around 10 or 12 within a team, like a football team. You've got 11 on uh, one side and on the other side. Jesus kind of used these numbers. He had three guys, disciples, that were really close to him. He had 12 total disciples uh, that were pretty close to him. They walked and they did everything together. They learned from him. And then he had another level of uh, disciples, you know, dozens. And then he had crowds out there. But I think even Jesus realized there's, there's just this escalation. I've got my people that will know everything. Maybe three people. I've got a group that we're really tight and we're there for each other and we're going through life together. And then I've got people where, I, yeah, I love them and I'm there, but, you know, we can't be everything to everybody and that's okay. So here's my encouragement to you. Think a little bit about who you need to show up for this year or this season of life. These are the people I'm going to make sure that I'm there for and hopefully that are going to be there for me. There's this reciprocity that happens. Think a little bit about what it would look like to be intentional, to invest in those relationships, to be shrewd. Now, this, this is really important, but it's not in the Bible. This is just me. So if you don't like it, it's not Jesus. This is me. But some of you, you're going to take this message to heart, and you're going to walk out of here, and you're going to go, okay, i got to invest in some relationships, and I need some friends around me that I'm going really deep, and I haven't done that before. And we're going to make sure that we kind of up the ante in our, uh, you know, how close we are and all this kind of stuff. So this is really, really important. Not in the Bible, just me. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. It should be in the Bible, shouldn't it? This is what I mean by that. Listen, we've got relationships on all different levels. I'm not telling you to level jump. Like you meet somebody at church this morning, you go, oh, they're a nice person. We should be telling each other all of our deepest secrets. That's not how this works. We're talking about investing in relationships, investing in people. And so it's step by step. So when I say, who are you showing up for? I don't mean, hey, go from zero to 100. I'm saying, what's one really practical step to take some of these relationships to the next level? So you know what I, I think is amazing that I've heard from a number of people? I, for those of you who don't know, I was on sabbatical for most of the summer this year. I was gone. I came back. And here's a story I've heard from numerous different people. They said, man, I came to Westside. I was just checking things out. And I started meeting a couple people. And then so-and-so invited me to lunch. Or this group of people invited me to lunch. That's what I'm talking about. You don't know somebody, it just starts with, hey, let's get together. Hey, there's two or three of us going out. Hey, you want to grab coffee sometime? Hey, I see that you like fantasy football like John does. Well, we've got a league. Why don't you come hang out with us and do that? It's just the simple things. But now some of us, we've had relationships with people. We've done all that and we've gotten closer and we've journeyed through life and we've gone maybe through some tough stuff. We've been friends for years and years and years, but we're still just talking about fantasy football. We're still just talking about what we saw on Pinterest. We're still just saying, yeah, I had a busy week too. That's fine. But maybe in some of those relationships, it's time to say, hey, actually, how are you doing? 
Hey, I noticed you guys as a family have been going through some tough stuff. Hey, this has been a really wild semester for you, and I see the stress in you. You want to talk about it? Now, you don't start zero and go to that, but some of us, we're at that level. Some of us are at the level where we need to model some vulnerability because we're going through some things, and it's a heavy burden on us, and we probably have people around us that we could trust with some of that stuff. And it might not even saying, I want to be there for you. It might be going to some of those people and saying, I'm wondering if you could be there for me. Because we've been friends all this time, but here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm going through. I think one of the most powerful messages of Christian community, as I said earlier, is you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. You're not supposed to do it alone. We're called to bear each other's burdens. And you say, yeah, I know, like I'm supposed to be a good person, I'm supposed to be a morality, I'm supposed to serve in church. And then the friendship thing, well, I'm busy and whatever, and maybe it's not a big deal. Can I just share with you as I close how important these deep friendships are, that, that we're building on these deep relationships such that when life gets hard, such that when we go through stuff that all of us are going to go through, we know there's people with us, and we know that when, when it's them, that we're there with them, and we're building these powerful communities, this This is what it comes down to. Jesus teaches this in John 15. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. And you go, oh yeah, I'd love to have time for friendships, but life is busy and I got work and I got kids and I got all this kind of stuff. Here's what Jesus says. My father, God, has loved me in such a profound way, so deep and so intimate. That is the way that I have loved you. To show you what it looks like that God loves you that much, that he has made you his friend, that you don't have to do life on your own, that he's come and met you right where you are, that he wants to carry your burdens, he wants to forgive you and restore you and walk with you. That's why I am loving you this way. And now I am saying to you, you love each other that way. Because there's no, no greater love than someone who would lay down their life for their friends. Which means, when you and I love one another in that sacrificial way, when we show up for each other in the most profound ways, when we build those deep friendships such that that kind of intimacy can happen, we are showing each other, it's one of the greatest tools we have to show each other how God loves us. That God would send his son, meet us where we are, forgive us, restore us, and carry our burdens. Now he says, My father has loved me that way. I love you that way. You love each other that way. And so when we build those kind of relationships, it becomes an act of worship. It becomes a way that we point to the God of love who has done so much for us. So perhaps today, if nothing else, that idea of friendship and relationships maybe for us is just elevated a little bit as we think about who it is that God has put in our way that we could build that kind of relationship with. And in just a second, I'm going to ask uh, John to come back up, and he's going to talk a little bit about how uh, hopefully we can facilitate some of that growth in relationships here at Westside over the next little while. So I'm just going to pray, and then I'll ask John to come up. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for loving us so much that you would come and, and step right into our lives. Thank you that you are not far off. Thank you that we don't have to do life our own. Thank you that we don't have to carry our burdens on our own. Thank you that you have shown us how much you love us, And one of the most profound ways that happens is is when we love one another.
So God, may Westside Church be the kind of church where people show up for each other and care for each other in ways that we already know are happening, where people know that they're not alone because you are with them, and they see that because others are with them. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Very often, if you've grown up in church like I have, you think about Sunday mornings. Well, church is well beyond Sunday mornings. And just like Dave said, we want to help facilitate uh, the best we can, as best we can you to build relationships that are lasting and meaningful. So we call that Westside Groups. And so Westside Groups provide safe environments for people to build community and connection with each other. And our hope is that the, in, the entire Westside family will develop meaningful relationships. And we do that together as we live lives to follow Jesus. So what does practically that mean? We, um, we're starting fresh. Coming out of COVID, it's time to sort of freshen things up a little bit. And so why we're saying that is because not only are we coming out of COVID and we're starting to meet together, but we recognize in our community is that there's quite a few people that have come from, we're a mixture of people that have come from even different churches and different backgrounds as well. And then to add on to that, this sprinkle of beautiful flavor is that we're so close to McMaster, we have all of these students. And so this is beautiful opportunity for us to do something. So practically, this is what we've decided. We're going to take from about uh, uh, this October to about December to really assess this idea of what Westside groups are. And so um, we are going to start, the be- we're going to begin groups just after Thanksgiving, and we're going to go right up to about Christmas time. And not to say that they're not going to move forward, but we're just going to assess to see whether we're doing it well or not. And I think that as a church, that's a very healthy thing to do. So life groups, what are they? This is, our co- this is our core component part of our Westside Church. We want to provide smaller, intimate gatherings for, for belonging and for support and also for growth. At Westside, we call these life groups. Maybe you've uh, been in a church that calls them home church or small groups. And these are typically 10 to 15 people that are meeting in homes in fairly local in proximity to where you live. So what are we looking for at the moment? We're looking for host locations, probably not dorm rooms, that's not going to work, but homes, maybe you could open up your home, and what we're actually looking at is locations in Hamilton, Hamilton Mountain, Dundas, Ancaster, Aldershot, slash Burlington, or anything else. And if you have, if you, we want you to pray about this, but we want you also to say, yeah, I wouldn't mind from October to December, maybe to open my home, or maybe we can share that within a few people in these areas. Talk to me because we want to make sure people are signing up uh, even a week from now, and uh, we want to make sure we're launching well. So we're looking for those. Secondarily, we're, looking, we're, we're starting Alpha. Maybe some of you are familiar with Alpha, maybe some of you are not, but Alpha course is a, a proven course that's offered globally. It's a space for questions and conversations about faith, about faith and for people to learn about Jesus. Some people, they just need, a, they have a lot of questions, and they, have a, they just want to talk before they ever put their faith in Jesus. And so we at Westside uh, are going to ha- host that here at the church. And that will be on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. That will include, include a meal, some video teaching, and some uh, video teaching series and some discussions. It's 11 weeks long and it starts beginning of October. Excuse me, it st- starts October 12th. We're looking for, for Alpha Course, table leaders, greeters, and food prep. So if you're interested in any of those areas, come talk to me as well. 
The key to it for you, if you aren't part of Alpha, is we want you to invite your friends, because this is an amazing opportunity to be introduced to Jesus. It's just, um, you're going to be hearing in future weeks more details about that. And so, those are the two things that we're launching with next week. Also, we want to say to you that we're adding things like learning groups, and these are spaces that you can grow deeper in your, in your faith through some more biblically-oriented instructions on specific topics. They're probably going to be three to four weeks, things like Discipleship 101, prayer, Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, some of these other things that maybe you just want a little bit more learning on, uh, learning in. We're going to be introducing that as well, but we're not going to be doing that. But focus on the first two for now. And then the last one is connection groups. We recognize that sometimes building friendships happens, and it doesn't necessarily, sometimes people aren't ready for life groups or, or even alpha, and so you just want to get together and build some affinity with people. So we want to offer those opportunities as well. So if you have any ideas for what those could be, let's chat. Um, and uh, we just want to do our very best to kick things off for next Sunday. Steve Cox is a, is a member of our Westside congregation. Steve and I are going to be hosting Alpha together, right, Steve? And, our, and, our, and you and Ruth and myself and Christy. And so I'm going to ask Steve just to uh, close us in prayer today. And, uh, and um, yeah, maybe you want to say a couple things about Alpha before you start that. Sure. Thanks, John. Yeah, th thanks, Dave, for that uh, fantastic message today on the importance of uh, relationships and uh, building community. You know, the Word of God says that uh, when we're born by the Spirit into a relationship with God, at the same time we're born into God's family. So we're, we're geared, we're wired for uh, relationships. And, and looking back on my own life and my own spiritual growth, um, probably like many of you, being a, a part of a small group and a small group uh, and fellowship and in serving has um, been one of the most important factors in, in my own growth and fulfillment as, as a Christian. So um, I encourage you to, if you're not part of a small group or a life group, to uh, uh, look into that. It's, it's really important. And also a plug for Alpha. Um, I've done um, and been involved in Alpha groups for, for many years, and I think it's a, a fantastic opportunity um, for those who are exploring the Christian faith. Uh, the one thing I like about Alpha is you can come and any question is, is welcome. And, uh, and it's built on relationships and, uh, in, um, and uh, discussion and such. And, and it's, uh, it's also good for those of us who maybe have been Christians for a while or maybe have been away from church for a while and we just want to revisit the foundations of our faith, Alpha is, is great for that too. So I think both groups uh, can be involved in that. So um, yeah, if you want to join me, and we'll just pray into uh, to all this that's been shared this morning. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And uh, Lord, we just uh, lift up to you uh, the message this morning and the encouragement, the instruction about relationships and growing and uh, in small groups. And we offer back to you uh, the plans for the fall. And we ask you to breathe into them the power and life of your Holy Spirit, because we can't do it on our own. And Lord, I also pray that you would guide and, and speak to each person here this morning. Lord, show them and give them a piece about what uh, you would like them to be involved in, what you want them to invest in in this season. Uh, come, Holy Spirit, 
We pray for you to uh, be at work among us as we seek your face and, uh, and seek your guidance in the next few weeks. And Lord, I, I pray for the leadership of, of Westside, for, uh, for um, Dave and Bryna and for John, Christy, and for Zach. Lord, just bless them and uh, anoint them by your spirit as, as they lead us during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.